Hi, welcome to Stay Tuned. This week we are taking a peek at some oddly wonderful series and um, the show we're doing first today probably captures that theme better than maybe any other show that's been on the air. And I call this one, Hey, Hey, They're the Monkeys. Then who are those guys writing songs and playing instruments? So there were quite a few shows from the 60s that just can't be described. They were so entwined with the 60s and 70s and anchored to the psychedelic flower power times of that era, like Laugh-In, Batman, Lost in Space, and The Banana Splits. The Monkees was another one of those shows. Recently, I watched a couple episodes, both about Davy's love life. The show always had a plot, but sometimes you had to search long and hard for it. If It was even more bizarre than I remembered. It was like a creepy bug. You weren't sure it was safe, but you just couldn't turn away from it either. The show was put in the fall schedule in 1966 on Monday nights. It's quite memorable to most viewers from that time, yet it was only on the air a year and a half, producing 58 episodes. Riding on the coattails of the Beatles, the show featured a four-member band. The only thing in common about each episode was that it featured one of their songs. Many of the shows were very surreal and featured bizarre encounters. Filmmakers Bob Raphaelson and Bert Schneider who created Raybert Productions, were inspired by the film A Hard Day's Night, starring the Beatles. They decided to develop a television show with a similar vibe. Screen Gems agreed to it, and they asked Paul Mazursky and Larry Tucker to write a script for the pilot. The sponsors were secured. Yardley of London and Kellogg Cereals alternated weeks. Yardley sold a variety of beauty products at that time. Originally, Screen Gems thought about using a real band, including the Dave Clark Five or the Love and Spoonful, which both turned them down. So they decided to go with four unknown musicians. The production company ran ads seeking musicians for an audition. Apparently, about 400 people showed up, including Paul Williams and Stephen Stills. Stills suggested his roommate, Peter Tork, because he did not want to give up his song publishing rights, which the company demanded. Fourteen actors were asked to come back for screen tests. Mickey Dolenz, whose father was actor George Dolenz, was in Circus Boy at age 10 under the name Mickey Braddock. Mickey's daughter, Amy, has also become a well-known actress. His agent sent him to the audition, and Mickey became the drummer and played guitar at times. Davy Jones had appeared on stage in Oliver and on The Ed Sullivan Show. He was cast in some Columbia Picture Productions and was identified before the ad went out as an actor who would probably be on the show. Davy played the tambourine in Maracas, but was also the primary singer. Michael Nesmith had been in the U.S. Air Force. He had done some recording for Colpix as had Jones. When he showed up at the audition, he had on this wool hat that kept his hair out of his eyes when he rode his motorcycle. It looked so well on him that he wore it for every single show. Nesmith's mom, Betty, was the inventor of liquid paper. Nesmith was the guitar player for the group. Peter Tork was Stephen Stills' roommate. He had been performing regularly in Greenwich Village clubs, but had recently moved to California and was working as a busboy. Peter was the busiest of the band members. He played guitar, keyboards, and sometimes banjo. The main characters were only paid $450 per episode for the first year. The second season, they received a raise to $750. As a comparison, Dick Van Dyke made $1,500 per episode for his show. A decade later, Valerie Bertinelli would earn about $20,000 an episode on One Day at a Time. Although they have made the show a hit, the top stars on The Big Bang Theory are making $900,000 an episode. Anyway, that kind of inflation and costs are another podcast. 
While they did receive standard royalties for their recordings, the Monkees received nothing from all the merchandising. Raffleson and Schneider hired director James Frawley to work with the quartet on improvisational comedy. The characters were stereotyped with Dolans as the funny guy, Jones the heartthrob, Nesmith the smart one, and Torque the gullible one. Most people describe the personalities as pretty fitting for each, except Torque. He was always painted as quiet and very intellectual. The improv training helped because a lot of new film techniques were employed for the show, including quick cuts, jump cuts, breaking the fourth wall, and rambling scenes that really didn't fit into the theme of the show. When the show was short on time, bizarre additions included things like interviews with the boys about life for their views on current events. In one of the episodes I recently watched, they added Nesmith's audition tape to the end of the show, just to get to the time. The pilot was filmed in San Diego and L.A., like earlier shows from the 1950s, the cast members often wore their own clothing. The final version received such high ratings the show was given a two-year contract. Of course, the music was central to the show. The theme song was the theme from The Monkees, written by Tommy Boyce and Bobby Hart. Part of the lyrics included, We're the young generation and we've got something to say. This captured the entire theme of the show. Some of the hit songs were I'm a Believer, Daydream Believer, Last Train to Clarksville, and Pleasant Valley Sunday. Everyone on the show was a real musician and could play a variety of instruments, but the Monkees did not actually play instruments for their songs. The public did not realize that until the band, did not, the, the band didn't really write or perform most of their music for a while. Like the Partridge Family, which debuted a few years later, they only provided the vocals. When this came out, viewers were really unhappy. For the second season, the quartet began to write their own music and were more hippie attire. Unfortunately, the damage was done and the show never recovered its higher ratings. While traveling around, the Monkees often ran into rival bands. The three who showed up most often were the Jolly Green Giants, the Four Martians, and the Foreign Agents. Rosemary, best known as Sally as the Dick Van Dyke Show, made two guest appearances during the first season. The band lived in a two-story house on the beach. The first floor contained the living room, dining room, and kitchen. A bathroom was off one part of the kitchen, and Davy and Peter's bedroom was off at the other end of the kitchen. The monkeys kept their instruments in the back alcove. A spiral staircase headed to the second floor where Mike and Mickey had a bedroom. There were a lot of kitschy signs on the walls. There was a mannequin named Mr. Schneider that would spell advice when his cord was pulled. Their landlord was Mr. Babbitt, who chastised them for breaking rules and not paying rent. Sometimes the monkeys pulled Babbitt into their plots. Another character on the show was the Monkey Mobile. The car was a modified 1966 GTO. A third seat was added where the trunk had been. A fiberglass grill was added to the front of the car, and exhaust pipes were on the back wheels. In all, three cars would be used for tapings. When the first season ended, Davy Jones was nowhere to be found. While many rumors were flying, the real story was he had received a draft notice. He lasted a few weeks and fasted a few weeks in order to fail his physical which he did. So for the second season, the stars wanted to switch from a half hour to an hour variety show with new artists appearing. NBC gave them an ultimatum to stick to the original idea or be canceled. The group continued to push the new concept and in March of 1968, NBC made good on their promise and canceled the show. The series won two Emmys during its short time on the air, Directorial Achievement in Comedy and Outstanding Comedy Series. This win really surprised me because some of the other nominees that year were The Andy Griffith Show, Bewitched, Get Smart, and Hogan's Heroes. It was seen on Saturday mornings in syndication from 1972 to 73, which is when I remember watching it. 
1986, MTV began airing the old shows and many other networks put it on their schedules. Columbia Pictures decided to create a reboot of the show in 1987 called The New Monkeys, but it flopped and lasted half a season. No surprise. Of course it did. How can you recapture that same look and feel of the original 60s show? The DVDs came out in 2001, and in 2016, Blu-rays were introduced for the 50th anniversary. I was never able to take this show as seriously as the industry did. To me, it seemed a bit too wacky and exaggeratedly fast-paced. The plots were off a wall and hard to follow. I think part of it was my age. I was only five when the show was originally on. I do remember watching Batman live, but I think I was too young to follow the action in the monkeys and not quite the age where the music spoke to me yet. Perhaps I should give it another try. Then again, perhaps it's a show best kept in memory of that time period. After watching several episodes, I must admit that I think it's amazing so many of us turned out so well from the 60s.